Titus chapter 2, verse 11. These are the words given to us by our great king. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word that you've given to us. I thank you that you are exalted on high and that we have the privileges to be able to sing in unity together as your, your chosen special people. And Lord, I pray that you would make this word so real to us today, that we are motivated. I agree with these prayers that have been lifted up to you today by the congregation, in unity, corporately. We do want to follow you. And I do pray for this blessed congregation here that they would be so invigorated to move forward in faith and in unity and in love together. And so we thank you for the instruction you give us. Lord, give us the ear of the disciple. And then, Lord, I pray as we go out, give us, give us the, the tongue of a disciple too. And so we commit this time to you now in the mighty, precious name of our Savior and in His authority, we commit this time to you. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Today I'm drawing attention to the duties of the Christian life and the great privileges of the Christian life. You know, it is so encouraging uh, to me to come into a a congregation of people that I have I've heard about. I bring you greetings this morning from Christ the King Church in Central Tennessee. We know about you all, but this is my first um, visit to be among you, to be among the saints. It, you know, what a supernatural thing this is. You know, to, to be the recipients of God's grace, to be a called out people. For those of you who don't know me, I was called out of the world as a young man when I was in college, a man who had, been, who had been defiled by the world. The Marxist worldview had been built into me, and that's, that was my religion, that was my faith, that's what I believed. And the Lord converted me out of that, and saved me, and pulled me out of that, and has given me a family. And, and all over the world. And I, I want to thank Rodney for his prayers for the persecuted church um, who are suffering this very moment all over the world. And uh, I draw our attention to the great family of saints that, that truly are growing. It's growing today all over the world. In China, it's growing. It's exploding. In the Muslim world, it's growing and exploding. Our little congregation, which is a much younger congregation than this one, is gathering right now to sing and praise the Lord and to worship together. And we're united with you. you are, you're our family. <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, let me just say, we have benefited from you so much and from your teaching. Many people in our congregation listen regularly to the sermons that are preached here. It feeds us, it nourishes us, it teaches us, it instructs us. And I hope that you all can become to appreciate what the Lord has given you in the leaders that you have, the men that you have, the doctrine that you have. You are a very, very blessed people. So today, and, and I am honored to be able to stand before you and open up the, the Word of God, the law of God. As we study it together, as we grab onto it together to make us stronger that we can serve the Lord better together. In the years that we have left here on earth. And so today I really do want to focus our attention now 
on the duties of the Christian life, the privileges of the Christian life, the grace of God that makes a victorious Christian life possible. I am such a trophy of God's grace. I mean, the things that the Lord has done, I wish I could take time to tell you the riches of grace that have been showered on me in my life so that you could see a living example. Well, you can see me. You don't know all the things the Lord has done for me. But he has done miracles supernaturally by the strength and power of his grace. We live a supernatural Christian life. And this is what the Lord wants for all of us, that we would be so open to be receiving the abundant grace of God and never turning our backs on it or hiding from it or quenching the Spirit who's trying to shower us with more grace and more benefits. We can do that, but we dare not do that. And so I want you to note how good works follow in, in verse 14 that we've just read. The good works that we're to be zealous to do and to be motivated to do, to be glad to do for the Lord, they follow after the work of our Savior Jesus Christ, the giving of himself to us, and he purifies us. This is what the Lord has been doing in my life. I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever do any memoirs, but I, they would have to be so heavily edited for anybody to even be able to read about the wickedness and the, and the horrible things that I represented before the grace of God purified my life and set me apart. He purifies us. He redeems us so that we belong to Him. My life is not my own. I am privileged to be His slave. I am privileged to subordinate every one of my little selfish, petty interests and things that I have always wanted to do to His, his agenda for our generation. And so should you be. And so He redeems us so that when we do belong to Him, all of us together, coming together, denying ourselves, following hard after Him, laying our lives down for one another, washing the feet of the saints. We're a special people who must be zealous for deeds that doers do. We're not just spectators, are we? This is one thing I appreciate about this church. The elders here will not allow you to hide. <laughs> All right? Is that true, men? All right, you need, you need to rise up and you, you need to be part of the work that's being done in this area. And wow, does the Midwest of, of America really need um, reformation and hope and the gospel preached clearly to it because the church has departed from the, the faith of the living God. It is so shameful what's happened, but it is, it is, so, it is such an honoring and inspiring thing to see good doctrine being revived and taught to the people of God. Oh, that you, you all would appreciate what you have. And it's all because of the grace of God on your life and on my life and on the lives of the people around here. The Lord loves people in this area. And it's He's giving you, He's pouring things out to you so that you can pass them on to them. Many of us who are here today are coming out of a conference that focused our minds on the growth and the development the advancement and the forward movement of the kingdom of God and its expression in Christendom as wrought by Christians who were sustained entirely by the grace of God. I mean, there were so many phenomenal achievements made by Christians, but never in their own strength. The good things that happened were always done by the grace of God working in them. The replacement of paganism all across Western Europe with an entirely new culture was not an easy thing to have accomplished. It took the grace of God in the lives of average people just like you, average families just like yours. But this work of cultivation, it's a good work, it's a hard work, and it's, it, it is completely possible with the grace of God. Do you believe that? I mean, the Great Commission is so daunting. You read it, making disciples of all the nations. How many of us apply our faith to that, to really try to understand this? This is a command given that we can actually fulfill by the grace of God, which has appeared to all men. And so the zeal of the Christian, which we are expected to have, zeal, 
Zeal. Have you ever done a word study on that? What that means to be a zealous Christian. Have you met someone who's zealous? Have you met people who have no zeal for anything? Have you met sports fanatics who are zealous for many futile and frivolous things? I mean, they, they can find zeal. What is the zeal that Christians are meant to have? That zeal must be motivated all of grace, and it can be all of grace. The hard, sustained, good works of the Christian are all of grace. And if Christendom has any sustained growth of any effectual duration, multi-generational, it's because of this grace of God. It's being multiplied to us, okay? Because we, we can't, I can't go tomorrow on the grace that I have today. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is there with more abundant grace being multiplied to me for that. And for your children. You know, as I pray about the reformation of the church of Jesus Christ, there's so many things that need to be done. Okay? We've, in, we've inherited a very broken paradigm in our country because there has been laziness, error on the part of Christian leaders for a long, long, long time. We need to begin recovering it. I wish we could do it all in a year. We can't. And so what I'm telling my sons now, sons, what your father is not able to do, you must pick up, prioritize correctly and do it. We're going to need sustained grace, wisdom, knowledge, more grace, more grace, more sanctification all along the way to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Semper reformanda, we've got to keep the reformation alive and growing so that it never gets stuck. And if we are receiving that multiplied grace of God in our lives, this will be possible. Okay, the Christian life is one of ongoing conquest, never retreat or surrender. At least that's what it's supposed to be. So then how do we explain the error and the failure and the surrender that many of us have seen since the 1840s, 1850s, even in this country? The collapse of Christendom in Western Europe. What's, what's happening? What's going on? We need to understand that so that we can appropriate the grace of God, not make those, not repeat those errors, but keep working, finding the mind of Christ, the priorities of Christ, receiving the grace of God, walking in the Spirit, never in the flesh, so that we can achieve what the Lord has appointed for us in our generation. So I want to look at some passages today that will help us appreciate this grace of God that's given to us. Understand what the Apostles' Doctrine is and how they're trying to equip us for what we need for this ongoing conquest. What do we make of the challenges that we face? Now, some teachers, I mean, even here in this area, in Omaha, in my area, in the Bible Belt, Central Tennessee, because they don't really want the hard work of these zealous good deeds that need to be done, confronting paganism, confronting lies, refuting the lies of our time, it's really easy for them to redefine Christianity. And you know, they can do things like taking verse 12 that we just read, the part about how the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, and neglect that, and rather put a stronger emphasis on the next verse, a sentimental kind of emphasis on, well, just looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's here in Scripture, and we are to be looking for that. But are we willing to embrace the entire counsel of God in our lives? And I pray, and I have prayed for you all this morning in preparation for the sermon, and last night, that you would embrace the entire counsel of God. And so my mission today to you is in verse 15, to speak these things, to exhort and rebuke with all authority, and to let no one despise the Word of God here. The Christian life is zeal, it's hard work, it's sanctification, it's sobriety. It's then more sanctification. It's righteousness, and then more sanctification. I mean, we don't. I am thrilled to see where you are today, standing in Christ and the maturity that you have. But you know, next year, if I'm able to visit you again, I hope to see greater maturity and growth and progress and sanctification. I mean, this is what's normal for the Christian. I expect your children that I see 
sitting here with you, attentive, listening to the speaker, right? Are you, are you listening out there? Able to comprehend more, more disciplines, to be able to grow further, to be able to take, take on more, to be able to process more because of what you've learned in this year. And so this is the Christian life, more sanctification, more godliness in the present age. And the impossible assignment to extend the reign of Christ over every enemy nation. Which is why grace in abundance is one of the continual prayers of the apostles for us. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Peter's writing, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be yours and be increasing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the will of God if you'll be receiving that. I mean, your, your work to be done for Christ. You've, you mothers, you know this, don't you, with all these little children that I see. You need abundant grace by 7 a.m. By 9 a.m., you need a whole lot more. By mid-afternoon, before nap time, you, you need grace to be multiplied to you, to be doing the will of God in your homes, to settle disputes, to do justice and righteousness, how are you doing at receiving this grace? Finding your wisdom in the scriptures. Knowing at four, at four in the afternoon, why, why is there not any peace in our home? What happened? Well, probably because you disobeyed some scripture back at 9.30 a.m. And you let some things get out of control. And this is why you need to combine the leading of the Holy Spirit to completely internalize the wisdom of the Word of God and apply it in your homes. Peter praised for us, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, and of Jesus our Lord. He's, this apostle's teaching is so practical and it's so wonderful to be able to see when, when we open up this Word of God, we open up the apostle's doctrine, the letters that they write are so rich with practical instruction. The pray their prayers for us, what they want for us, their reminding of us of all this abundant grace that's being multiplied to us. And so just right here in this one chapter, I want to look at this, this advice that he gives, this practical, for practical living in the grace of God, this grace and peace that are to be multiplied to you. He explains it so simply to us. How to be zealous and to be zealous to accomplish these good deeds that we're to be walking in, in this grace of God. So we cannot be denying ungodliness and worldly lust to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age without this grace being multiplied to us all along the journey. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us the exceeding, exceedingly great and precious promises. Okay, this is, this is Peter, the apostle, simply to us. How to be zealous and to be zealous to accomplish these good deeds that we're to be walking in, in this grace of God. So we cannot be denying ungodliness and worldly lust to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age without this grace being multiplied to us all along the journey. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us the exceeding, exceedingly great and precious promises. Okay, this is, this is Peter, the apostle, giving us practical application about what it means and what it looks like to live the Christian life. So listen very carefully to this. When you read these letters, this is how we should read it. We're being given practical application. So right here, at the very top of this sermon, you're getting a lot of practical application right here from the, the apostle himself. That through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Because, I mean, this is what the Lord does for us when he calls us out out of darkness into his kingdom of light. And so Peter very practically remarks on how we appropriate this ongoing multiplied grace by adding and supplying diligence to grow in grace. And then he tells us how. Verse 5, 
Also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. So he's saying, applying all diligence. All right, Christians, are you hearing this? Okay, the Christian life isn't just about being a spectator, coming to a really good church with really good preaching. These are commands that are being given to you. The apostle is telling you, he's praying for you, that grace would be multiplied to you. But are you going to be in any condition to even receive it? He tells you how. For this very reason also, giving all diligence, supplying all diligence, says in another version. This is New King James. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith. He's given you your faith as a gift. He's commanding you to add to it. Add to it virtue. And then to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Now we're really getting practical about the Christian life, aren't we? To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, are increasing, they've got to be abounding. This is why he prays for us, that grace would be multiplied to us. This is how we live. This is the fuel for living the Christian life. If these things are yours that he's just mentioned, these nine things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But are Christians really marked by the grace and peace of of escaping corruption, enjoying the powerful spiritual lives marked by the divine nature and character of Christ? How are we doing at this? How are we doing at these nine virtues that require us to supply diligence? How zealous are we really to want to walk in good works? In America, it's so easy to find a church that says, be laid back and take it easy. In fact, a pastor just called me uh, a few days ago, and we were talking about our respective churches, and he said, wow. He said, "There's, there's some false teachers out there, one of whom has written a book that's making the circles in our church that is telling people the virtues of being totally laid back. And it's abusing the doctrine of the grace of God and it's false teaching. He said many of our young people are falling for it. I'm saying to you today, if you're a special people set apart by the Lord because of the grace of God that has appeared to us and has been showered on you, how are you going to live? You need to be zealous for good works. And what are those? Here Peter is giving us some very practical instruction of what we can do. Supply, add to, be diligent, add to this, these other things. Kevin Swanson is a, is a Presbyterian pastor who travels around a lot and speaks to many different homeschool groups and, and churches and conferences. And he said this recently. I'm not sure I have ever seen such spiritual anemia So we have, a, we have a challenge in our time. There are Christians who've been set apart, who've been showered by the grace of God, and for some reason, they're not growing in the ways that they could be. They're not supplying the things that they should be. There's spiritual anemia. Kevin says, where is the gravitas, the serious spiritual interest, people on their faces trembling in fear and joy, which is a mark of people who stand in awe at the presence and the power of God and the grace that's been given to them to transform them. When we see the mighty hand of God changing lives, if I could tell you what the Lord has done in my life, you would be in tears of joy and horror at what I was and awe at the mighty hand of God who can change a life and change a mind and completely transform a wicked man. And by the way, there's a lot more transforming that the Lord is doing, but I have to be receptive to receive it. I have to have the humility to receive it. I have to be able to, as we did together today, those sins that we confessed are my sins. But wow, is it wonderful to stand and rejoice in the gospel as we did together as a congregation 
knowing that He is so faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh. And so when we do that and we're honest with the Lord about our sins, do you know it gives us a spiritual authority and perspective and strength to move forward for Christ and to move His interests forward, to build Christendom, to build the kingdom of God on His terms. And we don't even want to sit back and be a laid-back Christian and be lazy and look for ways out and look for the cushy job and look for excuses not to be sweating and bleeding for Christ. We want to serve Him more and more. Let me move forward here. I'm going to skip forward a couple of pages to try to really get to the meat here. From this place of preaching here, and I'm so honored to be with you today, I announce to you that the, the scriptural and biblical solution to the problems that we are having is one that is totally and fully adequate and must be proclaimed in the churches and the homes and the nations of this world. Today we simply examine the commands, and we'll be getting into them, of the Apostles' Doctrine to learn to live the Christian life of grace. It all must be of grace. And to zealously do what we've been called to do with all this abundant grace that our loving God will abundantly supply to you. Peter has prayed for the Christians of his generation, I'm sure the ones that come after. Godly men see that and do that and pray for the generations yet to come. David prays for the generations yet to come. You need to be praying for the generations yet to come, that they would be recipients of this grace. I have prayed for you and your children and your grandchildren that you would be able to appropriate everything that you're receiving and build on it and continue to build on it. This is how Christ Christendom advanced. I mean, there were, think of the first century church. There were no New Testament epistles at the beginning with this kind of practical instruction. They had the Old Testament, right, which is phenomenally rich in instruction and wisdom and the law of God, the mind of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. You all are so blessed and to whom much is given, much is required to keep building and building and building. And I am not going to stop praying for you that you appropriate and build on what you have. And if there's some sermons that you've missed in the last couple of years, you can get them and listen to them. This is meat that the Lord has been preparing for you. And you need to appropriate it and listen to it and build on it. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. We're going, continuing down through here. If these things are yours and abound, these things that we've just gone over, these nine virtues that he's commanding us to add into our life. You will neither be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Why did Christendom stumble? Why did Christendom retreat? Because the Christians were not doing these things. And Peter's giving fair warning. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to see the kingdom. I want to see the reign of Christ extended. I want to see it so abundantly supplied. I want to see men who are chasing it with vehement impetuosity. The words of Calvin. He said, that's what we should do. People are, are they're chasing after the, the interests of the kingdom of God. Scripture tells us that this abundant life is entirely attainable. And it's really very simple when you look at the simple instruction that's given here. If you keep increasing in these nine virtues, you will not be blind, useless, or unfruitful for Jesus Christ. Okay, let's review them. You supply all diligence, and then you add to your faith, which was given to you as a gift, Moral excellence, knowledge, are you doing that? Are you adding to that? Self-control, how are you doing on that? Perseverance, 
when you don't feel like being zealous for good works? Can you persevere? Well, you're expected to add to this. You've just added knowledge, and you've just added self-control. Wow, you, have, you are in a perfect place to persevere now. And adding to that godliness, and then brotherly kindness. Wow, here's where churches fail. And Satan would, would not want anything more in this area than to disrupt this church, break up this church, kill this church through division, whispering, grumbling, slandering. Brotherly kindness will be a barrier against all those things, and you can continue to be strong and unified together. We're in a real fight. I mean, we're not just here as Christians because we're Midwesterners and Christians have always met on Sunday morning to do church. You are here because you are to be equipped for the work of service of building the kingdom, conquering the world, and turning it upside down. And you have an enemy who will destroy this church if he could get one toe in here to do it. Are you ignorant of his schemes? Do you know that the main thing that he will use is division between brothers? Watch for it. Guard against it. Do not listen to slander. Follow what Scripture says about dealing with one another. Add more and more and more and more brotherly kindness in your lives. And Christian love is the ninth virtue. How are we doing in this? How are you all doing? And so this caution of Peter's, his warning, it's an inference. And in the parables and the warnings of Jesus Christ, Christians can receive the abundant grace of God. Sometimes they can quench the spirit. They can receive the grace of God with a less than appropriate attitude, with less than appropriate gratitude. They can receive it in vain. They can be relatively useless, graceless, miserable, and they can bear little fruit. I mean, these are the realities. You don't want that to happen. You don't want to meet Christ and have him say, you had heard about those things when you were 15 years old at Dominion Covenant Church. Why did you not apply them? Look what's happened. Look at the fruit of your life. The remaining 60 years that I gave you spent in vanity. And so how do we increase these, these consistently so that our personal virtue and our character, our godliness, our righteousness marches forward in a way that our calling demands? Are you receiving this abundant grace? Are you resisting it? You know? <laughs> I have a little grandson who's here with me today. And about an hour ago, he was resisting the loving, grace, gracious input of his father. <laughs> Okay? He wasn't receiving it. He was trying to pull away from it. We can do that with the Lord, and we're not... He, doesn't, he didn't see that it was for his good. Do you see that this is for your good? You can't pull away from it that way. Is grace being multiplied to you? Are you quenching the power of the Holy Spirit and playing around with your unholy flesh? I'm asking you this question very personally because I love you. I love the church. I love the majestic ones, the saints of God, in whom is all my delight. And you know what? The more the Lord sanctifies my affections, I love the saints, wherever they be found in the world. It's a supernatural love the Lord's given to me. And it's why I want to, I want to plead with you and I want to beg, beg of you to be serious about your calling. I know the joy that you can have if you die to yourself. I, I know from experience, if you lose your life, you'll find it in Christ if you follow him. The supernatural spiritual Christian life seems like it would be so simple to live because of this grace. And all, this, and all these abundant practical points of instruction from the apostles. But it, we're still in decline. We're losing Christendom. All across Western Europe, as I said, even in America, where it was once so strong during the, the days of the biblical commonwealth and the colonies. And why is that? Why this horrible decline? Well, it's because we still walk in the flesh and we sow to the flesh. I want to quote to you from a pastor who was extraordinarily concerned for his congregation and begged them. 
name is Spurgeon. He had a church in London. And all around his congregation in London, they were being pulled and pushed to syncretize with the world. And they were falling for it. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Spurgeon preached on this a lot to his congregation because he loved them. Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the special people who are to be having this zeal, this joy for good works. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Do you know how to listen to the Spirit of God? You know, as I talk to older men, we share many things in common, and one of which is it's hard to understand the leading of the Spirit, and sometimes we miss it. But the older we get, the more familiar we become with it. And that means, here's what that means is, please be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that you're walking in it from young ages, so that you don't have to wait until you're 50 or 60 to finally realize that's the Spirit trying to lead me, and I've just been ignoring what's been happening. Now, Paul says to the Galatian Gentiles, I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Americans play with the unholy flesh because they're being encouraged to do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week by the influences that are around you. Your children are being encouraged to indulge the flesh. Galatians 5.17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul to the Romans in chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The American culture is teaching your children how to make provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You want this? You desire this? You covet this? Well, you deserve it. Of course you should have it. And you won't be cool unless you do have it. And then next month it needs to be something else. But you need to learn to cater to the desires of your flesh and make every provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts and the things that it lusts after. And so Mr. Spurgeon, in preaching to his people, was trying to help his church not to fall into the syncretism and the hypocrisy of the Victorian Christians who were destroying the country. Let me say that again. It was the Christians who were destroying the country because they were not letting Christendom be a living faith. They were trying to turn it into a godless sort of normalizing agency for society. Spurgeon says this to his congregation. By the flesh is meant, he's trying to explain this to them, by the flesh is meant our corrupt human nature in such sins as are mentioned in Galatians 5. Secret uncleanness, lasciviousness, Immorality. And by the way, he warned his congregation about some of the popular media of the time. Cheap novels that were being written and were seducing the people in his, in his church and the people of London. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Christians can so easily fall into idolatry. In fact, much more easy because we think we have this, this God and Savior. And then we make ourselves our own God and decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. That's idolatry. Hatred, strife, variance, jealousy. This quote from Spurgeon continues to his congregation there in London. Outbursts of anger, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, carousing. And then Spurgeon says this to elaborate on it. If you give way to a contentious spirit, foster disagreements. I heard the other day about a church that split up because they were arguing about on which side of the building to put the piano. Faction. It split the church. 
He says, if you give way to a contentious spirit, foster disagreements, are filled with hatred and envy so that you cannot bear to know that others prosper more than you and desire to drag them down to your level, if you give way to bursts of passion or indulge in backbiting, that is strife and you are sowing to the flesh. This good man... This was a very important point to him. What are you sowing to? Congregation, what are you sowing to? Because what you sow to will become a reality in the future. He tried and worked so hard to impart to them by preaching of the Word of God, going to the Scripture, opening the Scripture, trying to introduce them to the Reformed faith. Within just a few months after he died, the congregation was saying, maybe we should just go the way of Arminianism. And five years after his death, the congregation voted to abandon the Reformed faith and go in the direction of Arminianism. What were they sowing to that would accomplish this? And so even with the best of preaching, even with the most accurate doctrinal preaching, there are responsibilities of all of you never to sow to the flesh in anything. These things that have been mentioned. Outbursts of passion. Is there angry talk in your homes? Do you know how to repent of that before the sun goes down? Do you know how to deal with that so there's not a seed of bitterness springing up in your homes? If you're allowing this, and here's a loving pastor begging his flock not to sow to the flesh. He goes on to say, I grieve to say that these evil things abound all around us, but, oh, men and women of God, keep clear of these things, he says. All who commit any of the sins in this long black catalog are sowing to the flesh and not to the spirit. And when a man sows to the flesh, what will the harvest be? That's the question. Because there will always be. You, we are sowing something at all times. And there will be a harvest to it. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. Spurgeon says, What will the harvest be? Question mark. He shall of the flesh reap corruption, putridity, rottenness, death. And that is what has plagued the Christian congregations for almost 200 years across the West because we're sowing to the wrong things. Scripture teaches us that we are always sowing something. Galatians 6, verse 7. Are you ready for this verse? Hear now the word of God. A command to you from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Parents, teach your children this. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. You mothers, <laughs> claim this promise. Sticking to what you know is right, sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, sowing flesh, the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your home, because you will discipline your children. It may, it may seem like bedlam today. Don't grow weary. In due time, you'll reap. Let me just say, as an older father and grandfather now, this promise is true. You stick to it. It will be true. It will be true. It will be true. You'll reap. Your children will be such a comfort to you. They will delight your soul if you sow the right things. In due time, we will see Christendom march forward. In due time, we'll see sanctification in our lives to a higher level than we are. How many of you, when you get time with the Lord, are so ashamed, embarrassed, frustrated that you're not growing faster? Don't raise your hands. I'll raise mine. But I believe if I sow to the Spirit, I will reap. And the Lord is proving that to me because I'm receiving the grace of God in my life. In due time, we'll see consistency and zeal, good works that build up the kingdom of God. In due time, our petty interests will give way to more serious interests if we sow to the Spirit. In due time, our spiritual anemia will be healed. I pray this for the homeschooling movement. There is so much potential in these young children if they could get why their parents made the sacrifices that they made. 
If we sow by grace and supply that diligence fully available to us by grace, we will sow and we'll, we'll sow the right things and we'll reap an abundant harvest of righteousness. So what are you sowing today? As I bring this to a close, I want to give you some, some practical instruction that the Bible says. Do, don't be deceived, please. Do not be deceived. You're commanded not to be deceived. What you sow, you will reap. Some quick points in closing. Point number one. We reap only what we do sow. Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked for whatever man sows this. He will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal or perpetual life is the Greek. Author John Lawrence says, If we sow indifference to God and spiritual values and priorities, we reap the fruit of indifference. Ignorance, hardness, greediness, futility, and frustration. Don't be deceived. If you sow indifference to God, how is your time with the Lord? How, what a priority is it to be getting with Him in the Word? Or are you indifferent if you sow that in your life, day after day, morning after morning? This is a true statement. You will sow the fruit of that, ignorance, hardness, greediness, futility, and frustration. If we sow to a merely intellectual interest in theology without a desire or will to let it change the way we live, we will not reap righteous living. We'll reap hypocrisy, double-mindedness, head knowledge that puffs up, seared consciences from being hearers and not doers of the word. We'll be little Pharisees. We don't want to be people who have a form of godliness, and that's pretty easy in the homeschooling world. We can get the drill and look pretty good. But do we deny the power that I'm talking about to you today, the power of God to transform your life forever, to transform your culture, to transform your family forever? The Holy Spirit is so powerful and able to transform our thinking and our theology and our habits. Point number two, we reap in the same kind as we sow. This author says we cannot sow discord and produce unity. Your church will dis you implode. We cannot sow lies and produce truth. We cannot sow sin and produce holiness. If we have filled our minds and hearts with what is evil, we cannot bring forth what is good. In Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? They can't. Verse 35, The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. You know, Margaret Thatcher as we, we were looking at, I didn't get to her in the, in the conference this weekend, but she made it a point to try to sow as much good things into her country as prime minister as she could in the 1980s. And this, um, this statement was popular with her, and she repeated a lot. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. What is your character? Hey, young men. Every young man has a reputation. What is your reputation? Are you known to your family and others who know you as lazy, a little sneak, who tries to dodge his duties and obligations? Or are you known as a diligent, self-sacrificing, honorable young man? You sow a character that's a negative character, you will reap a destiny. A lad will be known by his conduct, by whether his behavior is good and right. And so what Margaret Thatcher actually sowed into Britain is still reaping fruit 30 years on. We can see it. Some of the good things she sowed are still reaping good fruit because this principle is actually true. If we sow consistent time reading and studying the word, we will reap competency for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. Here's a quote from one of my children wrote and some of their studies of our you know, doing some cultural analysis. If we are sowing lots of thoughts about shoes, cars, clothes, computer games, shopping, guns, and, and there's uh, quite a lot of talk about those kinds of things in our home, okay, but I mean, we have opinions about these things. We can talk about these things, but if you're sowing lots of thoughts about these and very few thoughts about the things of the Lord, we will not reap spiritual maturity 
spiritual priorities, greater desire for the Lord, or a closer relationship with the Lord. We will reap vanity, shallowness, and even greater spiritual disinterest and distance from the Lord. If we struggle with being uninterested in the things of the Lord, we need to consider that this is something we have actually done to ourselves. Okay, Some of you young people, do you struggle to, to be interested in the things of the Lord, the things that so animate your elders and make them excited about things that they're discovering in the Word and others in the church? could be that you have really done this to yourself by what you've been sowing with the way that you spend your time and the things you think about. Proverbs 22, verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity. If you sow iniquity in your thoughts, you will reap vanity. And the rod of his fury will perish. If we sow a desire to charm, amuse, this, this is a quote, again, continuing, that I'm reading from someone who has studied this in themselves and their peers. If we sow to a desire to charm, amuse, or impress our friends, we will not reap relationships based on a selfless, sacrificial, Christ-like interest in our friends' spiritual welfare. We will reap self-serving, exploitive relationships that can actually drag our friends down. This is a life and death matter, what you are sowing in every little conversation that you have. Are you building up, edifying your friends? And what kind of relationship will you have with them later? You know, people who, who and we've seen this, young people who, who have such shallow, self-interested, selfish conversations grow up to just, all they really want is to exploit their friends, get flattery, get something from them. They're not interested in helping because they're not sowing spiritual input into the lives of those people. Point three, we reap in a different season than we sow. Christians are so present-oriented, we're not thinking long-term about, if I do this today, what will happen two years, ten years down the road? What will, will the consequences be from actions, decisions, or even conversations? So here's a question for you all. The people that you're sowing into right now, what will they be doing for Christ in the year 2020? It's right around the corner. Do you pray for them, for these young people in your congregation? For the men, for the families. What, are you so, what can you imagine them doing in 2020? That's just four years away. Do you pray for that, their future? What will they be doing in 2040? Will they have crashed and burned, become disinterested? You know, in the last five years, so many homeschooling families have just said, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm out of here. I don't like this. What was sown into their minds? Well, in a lot of cases, there was some very negative publicity sown into their thinking. If we sow our money and time in service to other people, we will reap measure for measure back to us. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If we sow to habits of teasing, mocking, insulting, and foolish jesting in all our interactions, next year we will not be reaping the ability to speak words of life. It will be hard. It will be... We will reap hurtful, destructive habits that can even destroy our future marriages and families and really hurt people. I mean, young people, what you say in casual conversation will affect your marriage in the future. In Genesis 19, verse 14, we have the story about Lot. He went out to spoke to his, to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons to be his sons-in-law, to be jesting. Why was that? It was because of what he had sowed earlier. Point number four, we reap more than we sow. For those of you who've listened to Dr. Kaiser's messages on the life of David, phenomenal what we can see. The indictment on David, you killed Uriah. The judgment was the sword will never depart from your house. David had to reap some very serious, painful things. The indictment, you took his wife, the judgment, your wives will be taken from before your eyes. The indictment, you did this secretly, your wives will be defiled openly before all Israel. Okay, you see, see what I'm saying here? Little words of the tongue can sow incredibly great damage. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. 
James 3, verse 5 and 6, So the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. A few little words can destroy, can destroy a church, can destroy a family, can destroy a relationship. Proverbs 10, 19, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life, says in Proverbs 13, verse 3. The one who opens wide his lips comes to, to ruin. Be careful what you sow with your, your words, point five. We reap in proportion to what we sow. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. If we sow to discontent, we will reap a crushed spirit, ingratitude, bitterness, wasted time, and opportunities. If we sow to humility, we'll, we will reap riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22, verse 4. If we sow to his kingdom and righteousness, by seeking first his kingdom and righteousness, the Lord promises that we'll have everything we need in the way of food, clothing, resources. Matthew 6, 33. I'm moving quickly now to try to close this off. Point number six is this. If you sow to yourself, you will reap evil and disorder and chaos. James 3.16. For where envy and evil seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Every church needs to be a church full of peacemakers. You must all learn to be peacemakers because you have an enemy who's, who's coming to bring war and faction to you. Point number seven. We can't do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about this year's. And by confessing our sins like we did together today, it puts us on a good footing to move forward because our sins, really, we, we have been cleansed. By learning from our failures, we can use them as back doors to success. Psalm 119, verse 59, Psalm 67. So the principle, I just, I need to push through to the conclusion here. The principle is we need to learn from our failures, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, and we'll be wiser for it. By seeing and using the trials caused by our failures, we can grow in character. And so what are you reaping this year from what you sowed last year? How are you doing in supplying these things that Peter tells us to supply? Are you sowing diligence? Are you adding to your faith moral excellence and knowledge? Are you sowing these things? I mean, this is, Mr. Botkin, this is work. Yes, it is work. But we have the grace of God to be zealous in good works, supplying, adding to our faith moral excellence and to that knowledge and to that self-control. Please sow self-control into your lives. Perseverance, adding to that godliness, adding to that brotherly kindness. Oh, that the churches would just be overflowing with love and brotherly kindness for one another. I commit to you all to pray for you that this would be characteristic of you in this church. Deep love, deep brotherly kindness. And Christian love, agape love. It's privileged work. And so for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And this is what makes this possible. Teaching us that denying ungodliness that still rages in our sinful natures and worldly lusts, the things that pull at us, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good deeds. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the powerful, supernatural, mighty grace that you give us to help us 
overcome our lawless, rebellious hearts. Lord, we confess to you that we, it's so easy to be so lazy and to sow to the things that would literally destroy our ability to follow hard after you. And we ask you, Lord, to show us where we're weak. Show us where we can supply all these, this diligence that is available to us in the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome these weaknesses of our flesh that continue to eat at us and will continue to eat at us. Lord, we depend on you. We come to you for mercy. We thank you that we, we come to such an abundant Heavenly Father who loves us, who gives us always so much more than we ask or think. And so, Lord, I pray for this congregation that you would so shower them with your love and favor and blessing. Show them their sin. Show them how to overcome bad habits. Show them how to overcome any barriers to love and growth. Show them how to discard any interests or pursuits that are not in line with where you want them to be going. Individuals, even the youngest of the young, give them an appetite for the things of the kingdom, the things of our great Lord and Master and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can be suitable and worthy ambassadors of yours, disciplined and diligent, full of the Spirit, and zealous for good works. Lord, thank you for setting us apart for these things. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. Amen.